This is episode 75 of Fatalist, a podcast devoted to the Supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. My name is Proper Dave, and I'm joined in the studio today by my co-host, Wayne. Hey, Dave, I like that little Doctor Who reference there, huh? Yeah, I've been watching it during lunch the last few days, and nice. that episode in the library happened to be on yesterday. Awesome. That's a, that's a great one. That's a Stephen Moffat episode there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you, I forgot how emotional. Dave, right, is the other guy. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> I forgot Dave. how emotional that episode really is. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we're recording before noon today and so actually if i said tonight uh it should mean today but anyway we'd love to hear from you guys drop us a line fatalistpodcast at gmail.com go to the website fatalist.podbean.com you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab or just record your own audio clip and send the mp3 as an attachment so today we're here to discuss episode 12 of birds of prey give you our abbreviated takes on the almighty johnson's the lottery and Snowpiercer, which is a feature film. But before we do that, it's time for Do We Care? And today's topic, do we care that the marketing strategy for Snowpiercer may signal a change in the overall movie industry? Right. So here's kind of the story. Um, you had mentioned Snowpiercer. You had it during the sci-fi news. And that particular day, you mentioned Snowpiercer, and I was trying to think of who was the star. So I was like, I didn't really listen to what you were saying. I actually ended up going on to IMDb to find that it was Chris Evans was the guy I was thinking about. So it was to me, I then a couple of weeks ago, I actually had a chance to go to the movies and I went and Snowpiercer was playing. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds, I remember talking about it and remember reading about it. It sounded really good. So I went and saw it. Awesome movie. And, uh, then I get home that night, and I go on demand, and there it is. There it is. On the, I mean, the same day I saw it in the movie theater. So I'm like, WTF, right? Uh, and so I go and look, and uh, you know, apparently, uh, I, uh, the is Harvey Weinstein's company. I'm not sure Lionsgate or I don't know. No, I'm not sure. Or whatever, but it is Harvey Weinstein, yeah. like you said. Um, you know, they basically released the movie on demand pretty much at the same time that they released in the cinemas. Right. It was going to play in the cinemas for two weeks and then go on demand. So um, I guess the question that's floating around the internet among you know, critics and fans alike, you know, who does this benefit the most? Who does it hurt the most? I mean, is it, is it a slap in the face to somebody that's shelled out 10 bucks to see it in the theater because they didn't want to wait or is it a revolutionary idea that you know really hits the future now? Yeah, that's good. and it's probably I imagine about the same amount to watch it at home on demand as it is in the theater. So where do you want? I guess what it asks is where do you want to have that experience? Are we getting to a point where movie theaters are moot? Right. I yeah, mean, most sure. people have you know big screen TVs, surround sound system high definition, some even 3D uh, setups. So what's the point of a movie theater? Right, and and although I'm always surprised when I hear people tell me that they like being in a crowded movie theater with other people to see how they react and to just to feel the buzz, I'm not one of those people. There, There is something to that, I guess. I mean, it goes back to, you know, the earliest incarnation, the earliest history of, 
humanity where people would gather together in amphitheaters to watch Greek dramas or to get in the Globe Theater to watch an Elizabethan play that um, – but those are things that are actually being performed. It's kind of like how it always cracks me up when people clap at the end of a movie. I'm like, w w why are you clapping? There's, there's, there's no one here to clap for. Are you clapping because the projectionist did such a good job of pressing play? I, I mean, the director's not here. The writer's not here. The actors aren't here. It's a screen. Um, but I, but then I get it on the other hand. It's like this kind of community type reaction to something like we shared this experience. Now, I kind of like going to the theater, but I don't like crowded theaters. I don't like like when people are next to me. I don't like that. I, you know, I'm I'm still kind of like a solitary type person. So I guess for me, like I kind of like this. Um, if I'd known Snowpiercer was on demand, would I have gone to the theater? I actually I probably would have gone to the theater, but I would have seen Planet of the Apes and I would have gotten uh, Snowpiercer on demand. Yeah, actually, it's funny you said that because the last movie I saw in the movie theater was Planet of the Apes of course it was the 2002 the Mark version Mark one, right, right. <laughs> right. Mark, Mark Wahlberg so and I guess the other thing not to belabor the point but uh you know in the news segment I did a few weeks back uh part of the issue with Snowpiercer was that it was held up in uh distribution for quite a while I think even close to a year when they were arguing over you know which cut of the film was going to actually appear in the theaters and and again I, I don't really know how this decision played out apparently there was some compromise made and anyway uh, we are going to talk about the film though a little bit tonight so uh you know in in terms of this episode's do we care you know do we care that that this is perhaps the first step in in a new way of distributing films yeah we care and 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 to be quite honest i kind of like it yeah, absolutely. I I think as do I care? Yes, I care because I think it is the next step. And honestly, you know, movie theaters are quite likely going the way of blockbuster video. Right. And I mean, you mentioned it probably costs the same on on demand. And and you know, I have Direct TV, and while I have on demand, I've never really used it. Um, so you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess I still have this image in my head that. On demand, it might be four ninety five or five ninety five, which would be half the cost of a right theater you can, ticket. You can usually you can rent it, like you can watch it for a day or whatever for like four or five bucks, and okay, then, and buy it for you know about like ten to fifteen dollars, I think. Yeah, you know, I I bought Gravity um, on I'm demand. Um, you didn't like Gravity? I didn't see it. Oh, okay, it was actually <laughs> pretty good. Um, but that's the only film that I've, I've bought on demand. And, and honestly, like we watched it the one time and I don't know how I would access it now. I'm sure it's in there somewhere, but probably like my library or something. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's right. But you know, it even gets to the point where, I mean, what is a movie theater ticket? Did you pay like 10 bucks or, um, it was probably close to 10. It, you know, okay. it was during the day. Okay. It so it was a little nice. cheaper, probably like eight, eight bucks or okay. something like that. And then you spend like 20 bucks. Right. Like but the question would be, you know, for me, say a, a film like uh, The Hunger Games, the you know the next edition of that, um, do I want to wait six months for it to come on demand? No, not really. Uh, but I'm not going to see it in the theater. So would I pay the same to see it at home? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, and, and yeah. loads of people would. You right. Know? So then the question is: Is the you know film company going to be able to make just as much money? And you know, I don't know. Hey, we're not financial whizzes, but it would seem they would be. Yeah, well, so. and you think about 
all the distribution you don't have to do then. You know, like if you're not releasing in theaters, if you're just releasing on demand, well, you don't have to. You're basically cutting out the middleman. Yep. You know, and, and you, you can kind of see. I mean, if if that's the case, so basically the only things that movie theaters still have to offer is this sense of community. Do people want to go out and see something in 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 public in a group? You know, uh, but then on the other hand, and, and you know, not. I mean, I feel kind of bad bringing this up, but then you got you know crazy people who go in with guns. You yeah. Know? Like it happens. I mean, surely the Batman thing that was dramatic and that was awful, and that was. But there's, I mean, there was someone did that in Baltimore, maybe ten years ago. Yeah. You know, killed a guy in the movie theater. So I remember after that, my wife, you know, I went was going out to a movie, and my wife was like, "Oh, don't go to the movies." You know, like it's like taking your life in your hands to go to the movie, which almost like in modern American life. And now we're, I'm really getting off topic, but it's like almost any public place you go, you know. So people might then because it's people feel so insecure about going out in public rather than saying, I want to have this public experience. Like, well, I'd rather watch at home where, you know, the, the, there's no one to shoot me and, or anything like right. that. But and, statistically speaking, it's pretty, right. Pretty well, low. I'm just saying Not that enough. it just adds so the, the one thing that the movie theaters have is the public experience. But when the public experience becomes less and less desirable, then yeah, I think we're going to see soon. Especially since it looks like Snowpiercer is actually, you know, making money and doing well, uh, and and this idea has worked. I don't, I don't know if it's shooting the lights out. I don't know if you know Harvey Weinstein is uh, now super, super even richer than he was before because of this movie. But I think it, it worked for the most part, and so people might say, "Well, hey, you know, yeah, I why I cut out the middleman, just release it on demand, and people can watch it at home." Okay, and then just to tie up this segment, there there's a video that's circulating the internet i i happen to see it on some website it's probably on youtube uh apparently i believe it's in oklahoma but i could be wrong there's a movie theater that they take no crap from their patrons so that this girl was apparently given the boot because she was texting during the film and she just goes on this x-rated tirade against the movie theater but to be quite honest man that's a theater i'd want to patronize yeah absolutely yeah, so, I agree. All right. Well, anyway, uh, let's take a little look at sci-fi news tonight. And ABC's Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has pulled off what I certainly consider a major casting coup by hiring genre favorite to appear in the upcoming season. According to TV guy Lucy Lawless, will guest star in season two. Now, as usual, Marvel's being tight-lipped about her character's identity, but TV line has some insight and suggests... She may play Mary Maloney, who's described as a highly skilled agent who can command any room and boasts effortless sex appeal. The concern is always that this may be a one-off, but word is that she's expected to appear in a recurring capacity. Lawless is, of course, best known for playing the title role in Xena Warrior Princess, but her resume is filled with other notable titles. She was a series regular on Star's Spartacus and, of course, appeared on Sci-Fi's Battlestar Galactica as one of the Cylons. She may actually may have been the head Cylon there, right? It's been a while since we watched Yeah, it. it's been a while since I've seen BSG, but uh, yeah, yeah she, was, she was one of them. All right, so more good news. TNT's Falling Skies is coming back for a fifth and final season as the network has renewed its veteran alien invasion sci-fi series starring Noah Wiley for a culminating season comprised of 10 episodes. Now, the network's also put out a 13-episode order of this summer's surprise hit show, 
The Last Ship, which is a jump from season one's 10 episode run. I haven't seen it yet, The Last Ship. I haven't seen I mean, the, the trailers look like good. And it's, I think it's on right before Falling Skies. So you catch just the very end of it, and, and it, it looks like. Okay, well, post apocalyptic, uh, thanks to a very deadly worldwide virus outbreak a la Helix, uh, sci fi naval drama starring Rona Mitra. Uh, who was in Underworld, Rise of the Lycans, Strike Back, Eric Dane, Grey's Anatomy, not exactly genre pedigree. Uh, but it has garnered TNT's highest ratings this year with an average of 7.2 million viewers. Uh, Falling Skies has had an average of 5.5, which is just outstanding in its, in its own right. So really good that they're going to be able to wrap the series up on their own terms. And, and you know, five seasons... I think they've all been 10 episode seasons, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, you know, 50 episodes to tell the story. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. It's funny because I was just thinking about this the other day because I'm watching Falling Skies and I think, okay, well, uh, you know, the show is really tightly planned. Um, I think maybe the only other show I've seen that as tightly planned is probably Breaking Bad, where, you know, you know that they have the story to tell, you know, exactly where they're going. Um, unlike, you know, other shows like, let's say like 24, where I've actually, I, I know for a fact that like they would start a season and not really know where they're going to end up. They just kind of start it and they're like, okay, where's it going to go? And by like season five, six of 24, you can really tell that these guys kind of like, were just kind of throwing stuff at you. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's awesome that obviously I'm going to be sad when Falling Skies is done, but you, you know, it's going to be a resolution and right. you know the question is i mean you know i'm pretty sure that the you know, well who knows what's i, I assume it's the, it has to have somehow the human race has to win out here in one way or another maybe you're shaking your head but i, I think I well think. and the only reason i'm shaking my head and not to get ahead of ourselves but something we're going to talk about you know in a few minutes that you know the ending is you know not necessarily what i expected so but we'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes. So, okay. all right, well, that's it for sci-fi news tonight. And tonight in the genre quick takes, uh, Wayne's going to take a look at Almighty Johnson's. I'm going to take a look at the series debut of Lifetime Network's The Lottery. And then we're both going to talk a little bit about Snowpiercer. Not, you know, terribly in-depth, but uh, just to give you an idea if it's something that You're you might... You're saying that now. But... I'm saying that now, right? So, <laughs> all right, so why don't you... Uh, Give us your view on the Almighty Johnsons. Is this episode two? Two, yeah, okay. season one, episode two. Um, and so, uh, you know, the the thing about the Almighty Johnsons is that it's really funny. You know, like it's a it's a good supernatural show and and everything. But yeah, I guess it's a show that that really can't take itself too seriously because the basic premise is you know fairly preposterous when you really think about it. Um, and on paper, you say, "Oh, guys are reincarnated Norse gods, really?" And so it has to kind of play with it, right? It has to be like kind of tongue in cheek and everything. I think they do a really, at least the first couple episodes here, they've done a really good job of you know keeping that kind of light touch in there. So you haven't seen it, right? So right. I, I feel I'm going to spoil stuff. No, that's you, okay. But that's okay. It's not like any huge like revelations. In nah, probably the biggest revelation. No, nah, I mean we we've made it clear, and I probably should have reiterated for the listeners you know, that during the quick takes segment we will be spoiling. So, but I'm okay. Yeah. You can spoil. Okay. It. I mean, there's there's no like big. Earth My mother thing. never did. So great. <laughs> the uh, the the biggest revelation is that Axel is a virgin. 
And so, and that's like, well, you know, like, cause, and, and even everyone, everyone else, cause like, you're 21. How can this well, be? Hopefully you know, his like, one brother doesn't find that out yet. Who, Anders? The one that brings the uh, Victoria's yeah. Secret models. Well, and Anders does find He knows, out. okay. So, yeah. Um, and Anders is actually a big part of this because, you know, the, the family's destiny is based on Axel finding the frig. And so Axel feels a lot of pressure, which makes it, you know, when you feel like not only that I, I want to meet girls or get out there and date or, or you know, whatever, um, but that I have to because the fate of my entire family and possibly the human race depends on my succeeding and find this one woman in all of New Zealand, well, that can put a lot of pressure on a young man. Um, and Axel's starting to feel that pressure a little bit. Andrew's solution is that you have to get out there and have sex with his, uh, with basically all the women until you find the one. Because he's like, that's the only way you're going to know. You're going to have sex with her, and then you're going to know it's a freak. Something magical is is going to happen, and, uh, and and that's how you'll find it. So, um, you know, Andrew's plan sounds good i guess on the surface but you know axel also knows there are some shortcomings as in there are millions of women in new zealand they figure it has to be new zealand uh, i can't remember exactly the plot device but whatever all the all the gods and goddesses are, are all in new zealand apparently the the idea then is anders is going to start him out with a, a female athlete with netball which i'm not exactly sure what netball is they didn't i was hoping they would show the sport being played uh but uh so there's this this beautiful blonde scandinavian uh woman who's like i guess the star of this netball team that anders is involved with in some way or another and so his way to get axel in is to make him the mascot right okay so he's wearing this like dragon outfit and everything and, and axel's like the mascot and, and it's like oh the, the the mascot had sex with like all the girls on the team last year or whatever you know um and so you know axel is and he uh he goes he's in the locker room like at first not to go too deep into this but it's really funny because i have a tangential story believe it or not that to go with this um and he's the other the other team's mascot is there and it's like a what, like a like a like a kitty cat like a like a girl kitty cat i think something like that it's like a uh like a white animal with a bow and hair and and Axel's like hey and the other guy's like don't talk to me you know and everything um and so of course axel gets like knocked out like because like right at the start the other mascot like beats him up and everything so um everything now the, the side story i have with that is when i was in college a friend of mine was the 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 like uh, our mascot was a golden griffin okay. and he was the griff and we were playing the school saint bonaventure and uh there were the indians and so they, there's a guy dressed as a Native American. So at halftime of the basketball game, they're out there doing their mascot thing and and my buddy starts like kind of like shadow boxing, slap boxing with the Indian and the other guy. So and the next thing you know, they're like actually throw down. Like they're both like they're like throwing punches at each other and the guy knocks the, the Griff's head off and they they're actually like beating the crap out of each other. And it was awesome it was like the greatest mascot performance ever right. and everything so and like you know people had to run out and pull them off each other and they're like cussing each other it's like so and that's almost, that's exactly what happened here like so anders gets a beat and uh, axel gets a beat down um but he ends up going back to uh anders apartment and he does 
finally uh, lose his virginity to the uh, to this woman, but he realizes it, it isn't her. You know, um, so that's that's Axel Anders' story. So you know, Anders is you know we you know we don't really trust him. He's one of those guys that we we all know this guy that if if he's like your buddy. Like you love him, you think because this guy he's a smooth talker. He can talk to anyone. He can he can get in any girl's pants anywhere. He can you know, seems to have money, like, right? Yeah, don't know where he gets it. Well, I think he's he's like some kind of he has like an ad agency or something. Oh, okay. Like that. So and I think that's kind of how he's involved here. Um, so or he does like marketing or something like that. But you know, like everyone knows that guy. And if if this guy isn't your buddy, you you freaking hate him because you think he's just a, a jerk, right? Um, so we certainly don't really trust Andrews a lot. But it's better than uh, Ty, who's kind of you know he's the the cold fish, right? He's the guy who can make things cold, and he's always kind of like the wet blanket, right, and everything. And and you know he's the one who's like, well, you know, Axel, it's you know, think about all these women. I don't know if, if Andrews plans any good, so you know, whatever. So the other brother, then Mike, uh, we see a little bit of him with his wife, and they're trying to get pregnant and unsuccessfully, and he feels like it's his problem. But uh, Olaf says, "Wait, no, I've gotten loads of you know mortal women pregnant. It's not gods and humans can can do it. It's, it's no problem." So we wonder what the issue is. Mike feels like it's his fault, and we see then that there is some kind of, they, they go to visit this guy that everyone calls coma Rob. And it's a guy who's been in a coma for 12, but it keeps saying it's not a coma. Right. He's in a vegetative state. It's not a coma, but they still call him coma Rob. And it's kind of this running joke. Say hey, coma Rob, it's not a coma. Right. Um, and we see in flashbacks that uh, Mike and, and, and Rob were good friends. And actually Rob was dating. Um, I can't remember wife's Mike's wife's name, but those two were the item. Um, but this one time Mike and Rob go out and Rob of course is the, you know, God of games. So they're, they're playing pool and, uh, Mike, you know, wipes the table with these tough looking guys. Uh, they get mad. They throw Rob on the table. He lands on the table and his head hits into the cue ball. And so that's how he, so Mike feels this overwhelming sense of guilt. Uh, obviously he feels guilty because he feels like he's responsible for Rob being in the coma. And then also on top of that, like he, you know, he's married to Rob's girl and everything. So there's actually this scene where, um, does because Rob starts talking in, in, um, like the, the Scandinavian language that, uh, Olaf did in the first one that, that you know, he's obviously connected somehow with, with the gods in, in some way. And Mike goes to visit him and, and Rob, tells him even though he's still in the vegetative state uh mike has this kind of vision rob tells him that he's still in love with you know the the, the wife and everything um so so there's that as well um the, the last kind of side uh plot point here is uh axel actually meets a nice the axel's kind of thing is well can i just date can i just like what if i meet a nice girl and there's like oh you can still you can have you know a girlfriend if you want you know you just still have to go out and sleep with all these other women you know um, and so that's kind of like the plan. He meets a nice girl and he, he goes on a date with her and it's all cool. Um, the, the only problem is when he got the gig as the mascot, uh, this girl and, and Axel's roommates uh, came to the game to, to see him perform. And so at the end of the game, they're waiting to meet him again. And he comes out, of course, he's with Anders and, and the hot you know girl. Because the girl that's his roommate likes him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And so they get in the car together. And so this girl, I think Jamie was her name, sees uh, that. And so she's obviously no longer interested in uh, in Axel. She calls him a player, you know, which is funny because Axel's so far from being a player at all. And uh, that's uh, basically the Almighty Johnsons. All right. You know, it's not that I didn't enjoy the first episode because I did. It just seems as if, uh, and and the irony is I was worried I wasn't going to have enough to watch this summer, that there's just been so much on that I've been trying to keep up with that, um, you know, just never really got around to it. So Yeah, and that's why, like, Extant and... Uh, you know, I dropped under the dome and I haven't seen accident. And there's, uh, you know, there's other good stuff out there, but yeah, this summer is really, um, you know, there's a lot out there. There's, there's more, it's, it's not like the normal, you know, I'm going to do my, you know, doctor who, even though apparently you're, you're getting one in, but you know, usually do a doctor who rewatch and you know, I just, I'm not going to, I just yeah. don't have time to get around to it this summer. No, yep, I hear you. So, all right. Now, um, if you've been a listener of Fatalist for any period of time, you've probably heard me, especially through some of the take fives, make fun of the Lifetime Network and make fun of the times that I've lost control of my remote to my wife. So um, I'm not sure make fun of it. I think you actually show in those we can we kind of see that you really closetly like yeah well Lifetime Network. Right, well, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I certainly. Uh, took some interest in the fact that the Lifetime Network uh, is making a foray into the genre sci-fi field, and they've got a new show called The Lottery. Now, uh, for anybody that remembers high school English, this is not the Shirley Jackson short story where everybody gets stoned at the end. And unless you read the story, you... Wait, isn't that... Wasn't that Woodstock? Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's called The Lottery. appears on Lifetime Network. Now, it also appears on A&E, so I'm not exactly sure how that works. The pilot aired, and, and apparently it's going to air on Sunday nights on Lifetime. So it, air, it, it debuted July 20th. I happened to forget, and then, oh, you know, when I went to search and, and DVR it, uh, it was showing on A&E. So I don't know how that works. If you're interested in it, you know, check out A&E and Lifetime. Now, they're set up for a 10-episode season, and the pilot brought in 1.06, uh, I'm sorry, 1.08 million viewers, which, you know, I, I think is probably, and I went back to try to see what kind of numbers Lifetime brings, and while that's certainly not among their top shows, uh, Pregnant at 17, Missing at 17, <laughs> arrested at 17 you know all, all of the and i'm not joking actually you're, you're not no oh they actually and, and they always run them concurrently so you know everything is um is it like the same girl that they uh, no it's not the same girl oh, okay. but anyway you just find like someone's like it yeah, really has a train wreck so uh, but the, the the thing i find interesting is that you can't help but notice that genre films you know whether it's uh hunger games um, you know, you mentioned Gravity. Uh, that's what the one with Clooney, right? Yeah, yeah. George I, I Clooney mean, so and that Sandra Bullock, uh, and, and certainly Extant with Halle Berry now on CBS. I mean, that that the genre genre, if you will, is really uh, kind of front and center where it really was a niche. You know, many years for for many years. So anyway, um, so I don't know if they're trying to produce sci-fi for women or what. But anyway, here's the premise. Something has caused an infertility pandemic. No births have occurred in the last six years, and there are only six six-year-olds worldwide. All right, so first off, the opening, they kind of lay all that out. It's like, 
okay, something caused this, but we're not going to explore what, at least they, you know, haven't at this point. So, all right, fine. Uh, Kyle Walker, who's the protagonist, is the father of one of the six-year-olds um, and is apparently being set up with women in the hope that they'll get pregnant since he's one of the last men to impregnate a woman. And his son's name is Elvis. Gotta love that. Nice. Uh, so, um, so, so we're kind of following him and, you know, he's a single dad and, you know, he's doing the best that he can. And, and it, it's certainly not that he neglects his son and, and I forget what job he, he does. He's, he's got a good job. I can't remember what it is. Some kind of, uh, it's some sort of professional, but you know, we get into this scenario where you've got, you know, women who have donated viable eggs. And then the idea is that they're trying to, uh, then take sperm donors and, you know, fertilize these eggs. And apparently for the last, uh, six years, it's no dice. Mm. All right. So, uh, after working on a project for five years, a group of scientists has managed to fertilize 100 human embryos, and they're all excited. You know, they're doing their little science dance around the lab. Actually, they're not, but they're but they're pretty excited with what they've accomplished. And and yeah, and you know, when you really look at, and they don't explore it in the pilot, but when you look at the implications of no births, I mean, we talk about the world overpopulation and all of that, but when you have no births for that amount of time, you know, pretty soon there are going to be serious consequences. So they're excited. And of course, I think anybody that's watched genre television, genre films could pretty much predict what the next step was going to be. And the next step was, of course, the black vans pulling up outside, all the guys in dark suits with earpieces and bulges under their arm uh, come in and the government comes in, takes over the project. All right now, the other central character we see is the president of the United States and his chief of staff, who is a female. And the president comes across as really naive. I mean, he agrees, number one, to his female chief of staff's suggestion that a lottery be held to determine which women would carry the fertilized embryos. And on the surface, you know, I just called him naive, but on the surface, her intentions are really noble. I mean, she figures that this is going to give the whole world hope and that, you know, we shouldn't just narrow it down to which, for instance, the military wants to take female soldiers and impregnate them, have them, you know, carry these fertilized eggs because then they would control everything. And, you know, she kind of sees the flaw in that, that, that that's fine. In, in fact, she doesn't want to, uh, um, the uh, military and the male staff members they don't want to reveal anything to the public they want to keep all of this a secret and as we all know that's well and good but once secrets get out then you're in a lot of trouble so his female chief of staff's ideas on the surface is pretty good he agrees that it's good uh gives that ray of hope but of course there's a darker conspiracy within the government to control these embryos uh though to this point we don't really know to what end and i mean you can't help but harken back to orphan black and and you know all of that but uh we find out about a woman one of the women whose egg was one of those fertilized and uh, uh, you know of course it's like you know it, it always takes me back to the doctor who episode of blink 
when she goes to the record store to see uh, Kathy's brother, and the one guy goes, you know, the guy that works with him, it's like, stupid girl, why doesn't anybody just go why, to the police? Why they never just go to the police? Right, right. And, and, and it's like, are you kidding me? You know, you, you have to know you're being followed. And, and of course, then this woman uh, turns up murdered. So, you know, it's a very X-file-ish um, government conspiracy. I mean, certainly not alien to this point, but but in terms of the, the sci-fi implications and the sci-fi storyline, you know, it's okay. So, you know, it, it's Lifetime Network, the acting, and nobody in it, I recognized i didn't even bother to look them up on imdb i figured if i didn't even recognize them um you know i mean the acting was okay i mean it, it certainly was on par with the other lifetime network offerings and and it wasn't terrible the the premise i would have liked a little more explanation as to you know how this occurred but i'm okay with the the fact that it is what it is and the fact that they now have a hundred embryos that are fertilized, ready to be implanted. Okay. I kind of like that. And you know, we'll see, am I going to watch episode two? Probably not, but I don't think they're necessarily gearing this for somebody like me or somebody like you. And I, I don't mean to be condescending when I say that, you know, that, that perhaps this is, um, you know, an offering of sci-fi, that might appeal to women. Now, again, why would it appeal to women? Well, you know, maybe the, just simply the fact that it's on the Lifetime Network and somebody will watch it. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, it, it's uh, going to be around for 10 episodes. And, you know, it, it wasn't terrible. I mean, it was, it was okay. I mean, I've certainly you know, seen worse. Right, it's not exactly ringing endorsement. No, and 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 I don't mean it to be, but it, it, it was okay. I mean, if I was on a scale of one to ten, I'd probably give it a six point five. So that, uh, and I've certainly watched shows that were six point fives before, but you know, at this point, with everything else out there that I could watch, it would be interesting to see how it how it plays out. So, if you're interested, looks like Sunday nights on Lifetime and. Apparently, you can also catch re-airs on A&E, and I uh, believe it's also airing on LifetimeNetwork.com, but anyway. So, I mentioned earlier we were going to each only cover one TV episode, so we could talk a little bit about Snowpiercer, and you know, we, we covered it in the Do We Care, but now as a film. Um, you know, on the one hand, we've seen this film before, you know, in, in terms of um, you know, the, the whole idea of social class. I mean, to, to a certain extent, Hunger Games, you know, dealt with that issue. But um, I think it does what good sci-fi is supposed to do, which is make you think about issues and possibilities and the choices we make as a civilization and, you know, what, what we can expect down the road. So, yeah, definitely. There's, I mean, it's it's almost... I would I would almost say that maybe the kind of negatives of this is it kind of starts to beat you over the head a little bit with the whole and at the end it gets more preachy like there's this incredible intense action in the middle part and then all of a sudden it just comes to a grinding halt literally yeah um, at the end by the way uh, we are going to spoil the crap out of this so absolutely if, if you haven't seen Snowpiercer um, and you re- you want to see it because you're going to want to see it it was a re- it was a great movie um, you know, even like after said, we spoil it. 
fast forward, uh, don't listen. If, 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 but if you're into spoils and you don't mind and whatever, then by all means continue on. So, so yeah, I think it, it almost kind of beats you over the head a little bit with it. Uh, but certainly there's this, you know, very high, rigidly structured society with the poorest people in the rear of the train and, well, let me let me stop you for a second before okay. before you know. So l- let me just give a quick um, recap of the premise, okay? So before you get into the thing about okay. the train, right? So that we are in the present, 2014, and obviously climate change is a, is a huge issue in in our present. And the premise here is that the scientists have come up with a way to control climate change and to keep everything, you know, in, in balance. And if I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, it had something to do with, I think they injected something into the atmosphere. Right. They or- were trying to uh, stop global warming, so they, they sent something up in the atmosphere, and whatever they did actually created an ice age. Right. And, and, right, an ice age of epic proportions to the point where literally everyone died, except the people that managed to get on this train, which is this super train that was invented by this guy named Wilford. And it basically uh, is a self-contained ecosystem that uh, is in perpetual motion as this ice age is going on. All right. So you, you were, you were starting to talk about the, uh, the actual, uh, I guess, delineation of the passengers on the train. Right. So the train, in effect, is the world. Right. right? There is no life anywhere else. And they actually pass places where they see people. There's, there's uh, I guess, one time people jumped off the train, and but they only made it a couple hundred yards. And now it's sort of like a landmark that they pass right. once a year. Yeah. So there's the, see, there's, that's what happens when you, and everything. Um, so, the, in the in the rear, uh, you have the the poorest people who, when you really think about how these, I guess these are the people who kind of like quote unquote snuck on or something to that effect. The the insinuations are a number of times that these people kind of like you know were not invited. They didn't have tickets or something. Something that just came on. So they're obviously the the lowest parts of society. And then as they, you know, so there is. Their, and their living conditions are, are are pretty bad, and there's been other rebellions apparently before. Um, and now Chris Evans is he plays Curtis, and he's leading this rebellion to. And his goal is to, really this kind of like murky one. Of, I'm just going to get to the front. I'm going to get to the engine, and then I'll be in control, and then things will be better. Like, but like, wait how are they going to be better? You know, like just because you're in control other than someone else. Um, so it's, I, and, I, and you may know Chris Evans as Captain America, Captain America right? In the Avenger films and the Captain America. Winter yeah, Soldier. He was also uh, Johnny storm in the fantastic four movies that were not fantastic movies. They're awful. But, <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I, I think is m- most, revolutions might start in the same manner it's like well we don't like the way things are now we're, i want to fight against it uh after that we're not sure what's even in, in the u.s right in the american revolution it took them like you know like uh, like five six years after the end of the revolutionary war before i figured out what kind of all right what do we do now how are we right. going to rule now but the interesting thing i've thought about this film is that we see it through the eyes of the people in the back of the train right the poorest yes. of the poor and you know you mentioned uh 
Curtis, played by Chris Evans, as sort of this uh, leader, you know, really reluctant leader. He doesn't necessarily want to be the leader, but but it's there's no one else. I mean, it's sort of like Noah Wiley's character in in uh, Falling Skies, mm-hmm. um, and it you know it, it's almost as if they have heard rumors of what it's like at the front of the train, but they've never been there. Right. So, you know, for all we know, you know, or for all they know, there might not really be anything up there. Well, we, of course, as the film progresses, we find out there in fact is, and it's, and it's very over the top in terms of excess, much the way you see district one in hunger games. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right before they get to the, the engine room, you know, he passes like, you know, spoiler, like he actually gets there. Um, but, and he has to fight his way through and, and more and more people die. And uh, it's down to, we had, you had mentioned when you did the, talked about it on the news a while back that he has to free the guy who built the locks, the right. doors and everything. Right, the doors from car to car. Right, and right. the deal is he gives him this kind of manufactured type drug thing uh, and, and that's his payment. Right, called Chrono. Right. And uh, yeah, two two chronos for each door, or something like that. And then he has his daughter as well, so he's actually four. So, but you know, apparently these guys' pockets full of drugs, he's able to pay off. Right, and they're these store. like these these lumps of blue clay is almost what yeah, they look like. Yeah, it doesn't like, look like, like appetizing. No, you know, but it looks like something you want to put in your body at all. But, no, um, and it, and it's also highly flammable, right? Yeah, because they use it as an explosive right, later we, in the film. We, we find out that they're you know, and we we know. I mean, obviously. Um, even as they're passing through this, the I think it's the penultimate uh, car, which is just the party going on, just the decadence, and right. and they, uh, this guy and his daughter are, are grabbing all the 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 chronal off of people's tables and stuff as they go, um, and so we're like, either these people are really really into this drug, or you know he's got some other plan. Of course, he has some other plan. His plan is that um, we're going to blow open the door and and get off the train. He, he notices every year they pass a um, a, a downed uh, airliner is in this one valley, and and he says, you know, like, um, what's his Nam Namgoon, right? Right. Uh, he says, you know, I, I noticed that the past couple of years, I see more of the wing, so the snow's melting, right? So people can survive out there now, and so uh, or so, or so they. He, he that's his right. That's so his he theory. posits. Right? Right. That's his theory. Um, it's it's a solid solid idea. Yeah. I don't. He. I, you know. I would maybe wait another year. But obviously, he's how many t- opportunities is he is he going to get like this? Right. So he's going to kind of. Uh, I figure better to, you know. Try to go off the train and 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 try than to stay on there in this kind of filing cabinet box that got him locked up in the decadence at the end there and and also passing it uh they passed like the the school that was like the trippiest scene i think right. where they, they go into the the elementary school uh car or whatever right and the teacher puts on the video and they're you know they're they're watching it and and the whole idea of this guy wilford who invented the train and he is in fact at the front in you know controlling the train in the engine room i guess if you will uh, played by Ed Harris, who was just wonderful. I mean, we see him just in his bathrobe and pajamas yeah. the, the entire time. So we get the idea that's pretty much status quo for him. Um, and he's also this messo- uh, messianic figure among the wealthy, right? The yeah. Uh, well, that, yeah, everyone else on the train, he's kind of like the God, man behind right? the curtain. Yeah, but yeah. you know that that but but that they don't worship him the way. You know the 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 wealthy seem to, 
But you know, as as uh, Curtis and his uh, freedom fighters, you know, make their way up towards the front of the train, you know, they go through the different uh, sections where they find out about how. Because uh, look, we're wondering, you know, well, how do these people eat? How do they? You know where do they get water? Where do we and we find out that there is an entirely enclosed ecosystem that they bring in snow and ice from outside the train, and it comes in and they they filter it, and you know that's how they've got their endless supply of water. Uh, you know they they are growing things in you know greenhouses, and uh, um, they even have they even have meat, right? I mean I, mean, I don't think yeah. we see necessarily where the the live animals are right well they, they have the the fish and right? they have they the fish through the aquarium and, and that's where mason tells him you know it's an enclosed ecosystem it's it's all balanced you know and that's right. like kind of the whole, this whole thing this whole train requires balance to exist and, right. and of course what uh curtis is doing is throwing everything out of balance right um and uh, or so he thinks and they even least. talk about it that that they, there has to be balance in the number of people on the train so that um you know this is not like the lottery where uh you know people can get pregnant people can give birth there there, there are children uh, who are born on the train but then if it gets out of balance then they've got to get rid of people yeah exactly and that's where these rebellions come in and you know we find out that this was planned right it's kind of this whole thing where again you talk about the man behind the curtain right and you know when you, dorothy pulls it aside and realizes it's just some guy well yeah it's some guy but you know curse's world is fairly well rocked here because the idea was yeah you were supposed to do this we, right you were intended to have this you just weren't supposed to be so successful and i guess one of the questions is do we really believe that or or you know i mean I, I, when i first heard him say it when you know when i watched it and thought about it that Okay, I believe it. That really sucks that Curtis has been used, essentially. But then you want, I started thinking, like, well, I wonder if he's just saying that. Yeah, I don't think so. No. I, the whole time, you realize there's probably more to, and especially when they start saying, you know, 75%, kill 75%, that that they're not just killing them to be mean or nasty. Like, they have to kill 75% of these people to maintain the the balance. Right. Right. Um and uh and so I, I think he's he's for real because and he wants you know Curtis to take over like his job is okay now that you're here and which is was Curtis's goal yeah. the entire time is to be the guy in the front to take over um but he realizes that taking over does not mean changing like he can't change anything because thing, things have to keep on well and and that's are. the thing you're as as you're watching this whole film you you're wondering because i mean you kind of get the idea that he's going to be successful, although you never know. I mean, certainly one of the things that we've seen in, in a lot of these dystopias, uh, whether you know in book or in film, is that they don't necessarily have a happy ending. But I, I, I certainly had the feeling that he was going to be successful. And then you just mentioned the idea of change, and you wonder, okay, well, what is he going to do once he's in charge? Because certainly it's a commentary on social class. And you know, one of the first things that I thought was. Okay, one of the first things he'll do is institute change and in that we're going to, you know, it, things are going to be even so that, you know, that that everybody's going to get a shot at living the good life. Everybody's going to have to and and of course there'd be no reason to not clean up the rear. There's no reason the rear of the train has to be uh as squalid as it is. Right? Yeah, um yeah, I I guess except for 
like what resources would they have to use? Well, well they to, would have what, to allot resources, but I and mean, then when they have to feed them too, like besides the protein bars yes. that are made up of bug, that was, uh, that was gross. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so certainly that's explored and, 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 uh, the whole idea of climate change and, and the fact that, you know, in 2014, I, I think to a large extent, you know, too many of us put too much faith in our scientists that they really know what they're doing. And, and I think that's, you know, a commentary here that, that, uh, you know, we have to be careful what we do and, 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 you know, we don't want to throw things out of balance. Uh, a theme that, that obviously you and I deal with in a, in a book that we teach every year, uh, Elie Wiesel's night, that, that whole idea of man's inhumanity to man is something that's just inescapable in this film. Yeah, and like I said, the especially the battle scenes are so violent and so just, just awful. And I mean, there were times I was like just actually literally turning my head sometimes because yeah. they were just, uh, and 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 the the guy I, I don't know the character's name, but you know, like the the last assassin dude who just won't quit. You know, right? And he's until he he kills everybody that uh, and Curtis and all his followers. Um, that guy is just the, the kind of the embodiment of this uh, this terrible inhumanity, and and so you know, I guess it's this whole artificial society almost begs the question. Uh, you know, is, is like our the artificial solution to the global warming, the artificial society on the train, all of this is basically flawed because it is artificial, it's unnatural. And it just can't work, um, so that in the end, when they're just you know the whole the um, when the 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 train you know, well, Curtis, I'll let you do it because Curtis makes a decision, yeah, to end humanity, right? Right. Well, I don't know that he knows that's what it's going to do, but but we'll get. Well, what does he think is going to happen? Well, you know, well, you know in, in, and also in terms of the inhumanity, I mean, uh, Tilda Swinton plays Mason, who's sort of like the public relations and she representative. Was awesome, and she was awesome. And, and again, it, it, it harkens back to kind of the the type of character we saw in the Hunger Games, and I f- I forget Stanley Tucci's character right. as the games master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sort of that kind of a flair. Caesar, right? Right, but um, you you see what they do like when the one guy that he won't give up the information he wants so what they do is they they put his arm outside the train right right yeah, yeah. no it's he uh he he hit the the guard whatever, oh they right took his kid oh so that was right and that was his punishment and then they bring him right. in after whatever amount of time was and then, seven minutes right? right and then they bash his arm which of course just is brittle and just yeah you know yeah uh, that, that was oh man right um but then the other thing is just like the the mankind's will to resist and that despite uh conditions that are just abominable that that you know no matter how bad things get there's still going to be that will to resist and we and we see it all right so we get to the to the end and and again correct me if i'm wrong i think we've both only seen it once right obviously um but um yeah haven't got it on demand yet does he blow what what is he he, he's blowing something up no he he discover so he we're almost at the point where ed harris as we said has told him listen you need to take over you need to run and again that's been his kind of goal all along but he starts to realize that taking over as i said before means that basically taking care of things and keeping things as they are he's all good with that until he realizes that as this whole time 
uh, they've been taking children and, and Tilda Swinton's character would show up and she'd not Tilda Swinton's the, the other girl, the, this like kind of like nanny type right. and measure them and measure them and then would take the kids. And we have no idea why. Well, we discover now that some parts have worn off in the engine. And so Ed Harris is using children to replace these parts. And so he's got the one kid is like pulling gunk out. Right. And the kid's doing something else. So obviously that they don't, they probably don't do for very long before right. they die. But then there's more kids. So you just get more kids. Well, this is horrifies Chris Evans and, and he makes a decision and he actually throws his arm into the gear. And, and part of this right. was, um, you know, John Hurt plays this kind of sage type character who, from, right. from Gilliam. the rear, Gilliam. Yeah. And he has, you know, and Chris Evans tells a story about how he was a, he, he killed this mother and was about to kill her baby. Gilliam came up to him and cut off his arm and said, here, instead of the baby, right. take my arm. And, and so Chris Evans, the idea is like, I can't be a leader because I, I, I'm not missing any limbs, you know, the show right. that sacrifice and John Hurt's also, he's missing, missing a leg, a leg as well, right. and everything. Yeah. And, um, so that, you know, the, the sacrifice it takes to be a leader and he, so he throws his arm in there to get the kid out and, um, but he, then he, he stops the train and when the train stops, that's it. Right. right. Cause the train has to keep going at the same time. Uh, Nam Goong has uh he's beaten the, the last assassin dude and so he puts all the the the, the explosive on the side to you now to blow out the door so right. he can escape and when he blows out the door then uh it starts this an, an, avalanche, an avalanche right and then it comes down and it basically knocks the train off the tracks right and now right before that though right it, it it's namgoon's daughter right yeah and she's got who does she have with a little? No, the kid is the the kid uh, from the that was in the the front. Of the, right, that was down in the gears and all that. Yeah. Right, he's been rescued. So the two of them, they jumped off. Right, they they first put on these, you know, the, these parkas es Eskimo type yeah. parkas, and and they jump off the train, and you're thinking like, okay. Uh, and then the idea is that the, the clearly the train has has crashed you you, you horribly like, horribly crashed there's like there's hardly no there's survivors, no survivors yeah. right but then you see off in the distance like wait a minute was that a polar bear right and then we the camera zooms in and you realize yeah it is a polar bear and that life is returning or they're going to get eaten by a polar or they're going to get eaten right. by a polar bear <laughs> the last two people alive are going right. to die so that uh, as a food for a polar bear right so that you know uh despite everything mankind will go on right and the you know that begs the question is that a good thing though right because we see what do humans do as you, you brought up night you know are human beings basically horrible like even you know curtis's character is he has quote-unquote good intentions but what does he do right you know uh nam goon he has good intentions he doesn't but what do they do they they destroy the world on it basically this as we said this train is the world these are the last members of the human race and as a kind of to to save this one kid which again good thing saving kids good thing but you sacrifice you've destroyed the world to save one kid you know, so is it a good thing that humans continue? That's the that's a question. And you know, then just the the idea of what now 
the the genetics of the continuation right. of the human race right. is just another you know thing altogether as well. Yep. So uh, you know, look, I've I've mentioned many times during the course of the podcast that I've I've kind of gotten away from being a movie guy. That probably something more to do with my attention span than anything. But I'm telling you, Wayne, this um, it, it had me from the beginning to the end, and 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 it's definitely something that I think if you are a sci-fi fan, if you are a genre fan, you, you really should see it. Yeah, absolutely, and it is extremely thought-provoking. As obviously, as you could tell from what we just said, it, and like like as as Dave said, like good genre good sci-fi what does it do uh, obviously it tells you a good story has cool effects and things like that good fight scenes but it also gets you thinking about things in our own society and, and the, the real world so to speak and yes snowpiercer it's all great. right get it on demand all right well we're behind schedule this week we were right on for like three weeks in a row but uh we're going to talk about episode 12 of birds of prey called feet of clay and like i mentioned last week uh they burned off the last four episodes so in other words episodes 10 and 11 they aired the same night and then episodes 12 and 13 both aired on february 19th 2003 all i can say about this episode it's about damn time and we'll we'll get to what that means in a minute. Um, well, yeah, I mean, people yeah. probably know what you even if they haven't seen the episode. Yeah, well, then they're gonna have to wait. Little little shipper that you are. Uh, right. Well, about. anyway, um, the other kind of episodic theme I, I think that got explored a lot is that the secrets out, and you know the whole idea of secret identities and and who you are and who you really are uh, gets explored. And unfortunately, we've only got one more episode after this to talk about, but. You know, it is what it is. All right. So the opening scene, we're uh, we're seeing uh, Helena at Dr. Quinzel's, and we've talked for the finally, last few weeks, Dr. right? Quinn. Finally, uh, for what she informs the doctor is going to be her last session, and and Dr. Q's kind of caught off guard and tries to convince her that they're only just making progress, and and you know, I, I, we've we've talked about this before. Does she know who Helena really is? Yeah, that's and I'm trying to think back to episode. I don't one. think so. Does she? Does Helena say that her father was Bruce Wayne? I don't think so. Or she just refers to him like my dad was a rich guy, who, right? Who did. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That's I, you know I wrote that that down. You know because she is like oh just one more time like she really doesn't want her to go and we know Doctor Quinn is not exactly necessarily out there to help people so much you know right so her over concern that uh helena wants to end the therapy we assume is comes from you know some kind of you know uh ulterior motives right and, and she says we're only we're or we're still discovering who you are well yeah like a lot of people in yeah. this episode and and like a lot of uh characters in this episode as well but like you said we we don't trust her uh, now, the other part of the opening scene is this: we see this guy breaking into an outdoor chemical storage facility, finds the canister he's looking for, and we weren't ready necessarily for him to open the canister and then drink yeah, what was Yeah, I was ever. not prepared for that at all. <laughs> uh, the guard approaches him, and when the guard grabs his wrist, the guard turns to hardened clay. And the guy is like, well, not what I expected, but that'll do nicely. Yeah, we'll, take it. we'll take it. You know, so um, now is Clayface... Is that a real character yes, from? Yeah, okay. Clayface is. Um, I was I was kind of thinking about doing Project X, but obviously we had had so much else to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, just really quickly, like Clayface is a, a stock bad guy from, okay. from the Batman. Has been since like the 50s. Uh, there's been all kinds of people have been Clayface. Uh, but he's one of the, especially in the cartoon versions, obviously, is, is like a great bad guy because he can shapeshift. It's easy to do in animation. As you saw, how well did they really pull it off on the TV show? Eh, no, it, was, know, it was okay. It was okay. Exactly. Yeah, it was but okay. for 2003, remember? Exactly. Exactly. So, but you need like kind of like to, to pull off like what Clayface can do. You kind of need either, it, it works much better as a cartoon, basically. Okay. All right, so the procedural in this episode, we've got the son of Clayface, and he surfaced intent on one-upping his father. So uh, here's another person with yeah, daddy, daddy issues. issues yeah. And, you know, like, like we mentioned, Clayface could change his appearance at will. Reese refers to him as a shapeshifter, and Huntress is kind of impressed that, uh, yeah, he knows the lingo. And, um you know, I'm, again, I'm not sure when the idea of or, or, or the term shapeshifter, I mean, I guess for me, it was probably even fringe. I mean, I'm surely they were using it before fringe aired, but I mean, clearly they're using it here in 2003. So, yeah, I can't. That, that, that's that's something I would need to think about. Maybe for next week, I'll, I'll come back with when I first heard like the first experience i had with uh shape shifting but but again I, I would probably say maybe even Clayface was when i was a kid watching you know justice league cartoons would probably maybe the first experience i had with that all right well uh barbara narrows down the known associates to a dr will croner who the actor patrick fishler who you clearly recognize yeah him, right, I, right the one thing i could come up with is mulholland heights i don't know if you're, you've uh, seen that no um but I know he was in that. But yeah, he's in tons and tons. Well, he was in Lost. He he played Phil, who was a member of the uh, Dharma Initiative yes, right, right, right. for nine episodes during season five, uh, which is certainly where I... And then, again, we were watching something last night. Um, you know, not to get too sidetracked, do you watch Castle? Um, I have. I, I, I kind of... My, my DVR kind of skipped a couple well, episodes so. well we're watching it as our dinner time fair where we oh, have okay. the tv on and, and so I, just, i've seen it all except for like the last okay. maybe seven episodes well, well he ended season. up being in an episode of that the other night so yeah. uh, uh not to mention that uh, in, uh castle's riding down this road in uh in his car and he's talking to another male i'm thinking like i know that voice and i look up adam baldwin who played jane in Firefly was in right. the same episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. He was. Yep. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so Huntress tracks down the doctor, tells him that the chemical was never intended to have the effect of turning someone to clay. So he kind of, you know, he kind of fesses up to the fact that he was working uh, for Clayface, at least in the past, which is not exactly true as it turns out. Um, it was designed to work with Clayface's DNA. And of course, uh, as a viewer, uh, we immediately figure that, ah, well, then this must be a relative, probably a son. And that's, of course, uh, what it turns out to be. Um, all right. So Helena tells Barbara that Reese can get her into Arkham Asylum so she can question Clayface. And, and, and that's kind of one of the big deals. I'm, we'll talk about that kind of uh, self-contained, but Helena's confrontation with Clayface at Arkham Asylum, because that, that really was a big part of this episode, sort of. You know, Helena coming to terms with with her demons and, you know, in this case, the her mother's death. Um, the son, Chris Cassius. And again, I'm thinking, all right, any meaning there to the name? And, you know, yeah, well, I 
looking up, and I didn't know this before, but I was kind of like poking around about Clayface, and one of them was named Cassius Clay Payne. Oh, okay, <laughs> of course. And for those of you that are too young to remember, Cassius Clay was the original name of Muhammad Ali, right? arguably the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time. Um, yeah, it could be. So they, you know, and, and I think he... Oh, of so course, I, that, that's of course. Yeah. Plus, you know, Cash. I, you know, I thought at first when I first saw it, I thought they're going with Cassius, right, from yeah. Julius Caesar. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, right. So, uh, all right. Well, anyway, uh, then we we see the scene where Huntress bursts through Cassius' skylight, ready to do battle. I guess the door is not good enough. She's got to come. <laughs> She's always got to come. That's not dramatic enough, you know. And 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 he tries to bait her with uh, you know the fact that we both live in the shadow of our fathers, um, and for once. She exhibits restraint, and we don't see that a lot out of her, and that's certainly one of the ways that she's changing as the season's progressed. Um, and that uh, I think she realizes that the antidote may not work, and she needs to get out of there, retreat to fight another day, which, yes. which is, in fact, what she does. Right. Um, so, well, yeah, and to get to that point, you know, when she goes and she visits Clayface in jail, it's it's almost you know this idea of therapy – she, you know, he actually, it's kind of like creepy and inappropriate how he's like, says, you know, um, tell me your, like your pain, right? Like, tell me your, your worst. And he gets her to talk about her mother. And so is, is slightly, um, in a way like therapeutic there. Well, well yeah. And in fact, well, why don't we go ahead and just segue into that for a second? I mean, we, we go to the scene and he's, and we've seen the glass enclosed cells at Arkham Asylum which uh, noticeably don't have a bathroom or a bed or anything like that. (laughs) Uh, But he's sculpting a human figure out of clay. He recognizes her immediately. You are your mother's child. He's got that lisp or whatever it is. He's Yeah, it's really, I don't know. Creepy. (laughs) But he, in fact, and then he tells her that he had a thing for her mother. She was very beautiful. And, 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 you know, it's easy to forget that her mother was a criminal. So that, you know, it it makes sense. Um, But then like what you were getting at is she's there for information and he tells her we'll do a trade in return for explaining how to save the guy that's encased in clay. I want you to pose for me. And of course, we think it's going to be like, you know, traditional sit on a uh, sit on a stool and, and, you know, that sort of posing. But but it's not. And he says he needs inspiration and he wants her to reveal her emotion. And, And then he gets to the point where. I want you to think back to the night your mother died, right? Yeah. And she, of course, refuses. And again, then he he just knows the exact right things to say. He said, well, maybe you're lacking that strong moral core that plagued your father. Are you? Right? And And, and that's obviously yeah. been one of her struggles is that she's got whatever. We, and we, I don't think we're going to learn what the big problem is with her and her father. Yeah, we've only got one episode to yeah, go. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but but fight that she has with herself continually, uh, you know, because clearly her father was this high moral character, and her mother, well, not the worst of criminals, but was certainly a criminal. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the fact that Clayface knows all this in the first place is creepy as well, right? Yeah, that he he and he calls her Huntress. Yeah. You know, yeah. not Helena. So, I mean, he knows 
No, I, I mean, he knows her whole secret identity, which is not much of a secret because she <laughs> wear a mask. Right? As, as we've discussed last week, right. <laughs> but um, she realizes that she's got to sublimate her own ego here you know, to save this guy's life. And she says, you know, like, fine, okay. And he jumps immediately. How did seeing all that blood make you feel? And she replies, cold and empty. Uh, and then stops, but he's getting what he wants out of her. As he says, raw emotion. And he said, tell Oracle to use calcium sulfate. And she suspects he knows who's committing the crimes. Because at this point, we don't really know. Right. Right. Well, I mean, we know because we've seen him, but we just don't know. Well, right, knows. right, right. Um, now, Barbara doesn't seem surprised that Clayface brought up Catwoman. So you wonder what exactly she knew. Because remember, he, she was Batman's protege at the time. Um, and again, I'm not well versed in, in the comic book world, but I don't know that there was any romantic inklings between the two of them right it no, was just she's a true always, protege yeah yeah right. she's always jim you know jim gordon's daughter daughter yeah so, right 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 yeah, so kind of like hands off there yep all right well later in the episode helena returns to arkham tells clayface about his son and suggests a trade information for some inspiration wants to know why his son is doing this and the father knows why and and i'm not sure how he made that leap but you know he knows his son is trying to you know show me up or be because what he didn't get enough love when i was you know when he was little yeah you, you know well, when you're a you know criminal mastermind it's, and and he uh, even says something like that right? Right. yeah it's 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 tough to raise a family so yeah um but he he doesn't tell her what the end game might be but and then he he again he it's like he's got that uh, again pun intended i guess that he's got that knife ready to just keep digging in her because he wants her to relive the night mommy got killed and you know just that that use of the word mommy just to 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 just bring back the 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 way she felt as a child watching her mother bleed to death in the street um and we learn that he was the one that killed her mother right he killed yes, catwoman right and and barbara knew but pretty much, you know, she says she didn't know, no, but she always kind of right. Well, he, well, remember he he takes on the form, right? He, the the face of clay that we've seen in his cell suddenly morphs into a human face right. that she then recognizes uh, from the night of the murder. And he describes the fact that the seven inch blade ripped through her flesh surprisingly well. His only regret is he didn't linger to see her pain and suffering, which she's now displaying by punching and kicking the glass, which had the expected result, which is a crack, yeah. which we presume is how, how he, how he gets, out how he later. gets out. Um, well, pretty much revenge is, is the name of the game for Helena at this point. And it's, it's everything Barbara can do to, to convince her. Otherwise, uh, Barbara knows the truth about Catwoman's murderer. And then, and she's used this several times with with huntress and and you almost wonder is it as just as much for dinah revenge is not what we do yeah and that's such a huge theme through across almost every single batman version ever from right. the cartoons to the michael keaton movies to the the you know the christian bale movies um because obviously bruce wayne becomes batman 
have a desire for revenge. Uh, guy kills his parents, and and he's gonna he's gonna get this guy. Um, and the Batman Begins, especially, which is the first of the uh, the Christopher Nolan films, this idea of of what is justice and what is revenge, um, it is is really a, a big part of that. And he kind of as he grows up, as he becomes Batman, as Bruce Wayne becomes Batman, uh, he realizes that just simply revenge itself is is not justice and and everything right and those lines are really blurred anyway right exactly the difference between those two right um and so like i said that that's across the board that's everything every single like every single batman you know show movie tv cartoon whatever has some element of this questioning uh you know the the legitimacy the righteousness of of revenge right now part of um you know, bringing this whole procedural, the son of Clayface, you know, to a close, uh, requires Helena going undercover as a high fashion model to the new Gotham city, uh, fashion show fundraiser. And, you know, Chris has hired guns to be there. He's a guy, he wants a film crew. So his father can see what he, that what, what the father wasn't able to accomplish. Um, but as it turns out, Clayface is there. Yep. As is Dr. Quinzel, who, I mean, some of the expressions on her face during the course of all this, it's it's like, wait a minute. I thought I was the bad guy in town. I thought yeah. I was the criminal mastermind. You know, who are these people? Yeah, she's, uh, you know, kind of shy. out of all these people, the one who's maintained her kind of secret identity. She's the only one, right, right. <laughs> of all these people. Um, and this is really a point where we think, okay, see Helena, here's where you need to have the mask because now Dr. Q, you, she totally knows who you are. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Right. And then the, uh, the other thing, you know, that, that, uh, Clayface pulls out the blade that he used to kill her mother. And, and, you know, Barbara is obviously as she always does talking to her through her comms, this is what he wants to make you a killer. And, and, and again, it's, we understand the struggle that Helena has on a week to week basis uh, because she's just been walking that tightrope between good and evil. And, you know, clearly uh, good has been winning out, but it, you know, so we don't really know, or I don't really know the background of her mother. I mean, was her mother ever good? I don't, I don't know. Well, but Catwoman is always, uh, yeah, I keep forgetting. You haven't seen any of the movies, but um, she's kind of like this, marginal character where she's not like all bad um this is a kind of a pseudo robin hood uh that you know steals from the rich but you know gives to herself rather than okay. to, to the poor people um but and, and then in many versions of the of batman story and in the comics there are some i don't know if it's in like alternate realities i should i should look this up but you know batman actually ends up um hooking up with Catwoman they have a relationship together and in actually the the graphic novel Batman the Dark Knight which is the what the um the the Michael Keaton movie was based on that graphic novel um it's it's Batman like coming back to you know to fight years after like he's retired and then he's come back as an older guy and he one of the first people he looks up is is Selena Kyle so she's always like kind of like yeah she's a bad guy she's a criminal she steals but no she's not bad as in she doesn't like you know she's not vicious she's not trying to take over or be like super bad like that 
So, so very much like her daughter, which is except her daughter is on the, you know not a criminal, but still walking that line, as you said, between you know the 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 dark and the light, I guess. Right. Um, now, obviously, we started watching this, you know, in large part because Rachel Scarston is one of the three birds of prey, and unfortunately, Dinah is virtually absent from this episode. But did you notice what she was wearing? At the end, the dress? No. Oh, no. I didn't notice. Kind of like one of these little belly shirts. And and I'm, and I'm wondering, is this like are you imitating Big Sister? I mean, is this the, you know, because I I don't, you know, I mean, it's typically what Huntress would wear. Right. But not what Dinah would wear. Um, now, obviously, she attends the fashion show uh, as a backup, uh, looking ever the grown up in her red gown. And the the question I have about Dinah, because again, we don't see her hardly at all, but when they're at the fashion show and when everything is going crazy, why is she not using her telekinetic powers? You know, I mean, does she still not have control, Uh, which would make sense then? Well, again, possibly, well, I mean, I'd say at one level, it's just because they want to have like a fight sequence okay. and everything. And it's much more interesting to see her kicking and punching people than like doing some kind of Jedi mind trick on them. Uh, the other, if if they, whether they made this decision purposefully or not, as you said, modeling big sis, you know, like yeah. I want to do what Huntress does. So yeah, I could, you know, turn these people to jelly with my brain, but I'd rather just beat them up like my, uh, yeah. like the yeah. this person I admire does. So. Right. Cool. All right, um, now, it's been a while. Um, we've, we've talked shipping throughout the series, but, uh, but a couple of things come up tonight. And, and first with Barbara, who's apparently agreed to go on a tropical vacation with Wade to the Bahamas. And you knew she was going to cut. It was almost as if she would purposely come up with an excuse to cancel, which is what she do, does when this latest crisis arises. Yeah, it's a pretty good excuse. Though, right? Well, it was, but, but you know, Alfred was more prominent in this episode. Uh, and he repeatedly brings up, you know, well, uh, when is a good time? You know, when is there not crime going on in New Gotham City? And the answer is never. So that if you use that as an excuse, you know, Miss Helena and Miss Dinah can hold down the fort while you take a weekend with with Wade. But, um, you know, we go through even Helena telling her she's sacrificing any hope of happiness in her personal life. and. And I think Helena senses that she's doing it on purpose, almost as if she doesn't deserve to be happy. Yeah, so. and that could tie. But we know she has guilt, right? I mean, we, we yeah. had with the uh, oh, I can't remember the 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 girl who she killed her sister. And I, you know, I mean, like so there is that. You know, she does feel some kind of guilt, some need to repent for her past in a way, right? And, and, you know, he brings up uh, about Bruce Wayne's regrets. And, and you know, it, it's, I mean, he is the fatherly figure. You know, at, at some point you want to think of him as a grandfatherly, but, but um, you know, age-wise maybe he is. But, you know, he doesn't want her to make the same mistakes and have the same regrets that Bruce Wayne did. And this is what he's trying to prevent. Um, right, but there's certain things that happen when you, you know, do what they do. If when you fight crime when you are have a righteous cause there's sacrifices and yeah. oftentimes it's, well, it's true your personal slash family life that gets sacrificed and, and we've talked like, about this throughout the course of the series as well yeah. now alfred makes a pretty bold move and he brings wayne uh, wade to the clock tower 
And I think this now dashes your theory. Not necessarily. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I've my my theory. Is, he's understandably astonished at what he sees. Yes, I, I still feel that given time, that Wade would ultimately maybe season two he would have we would have seen his true colors. Okay. But as it is, I think his true colors is that he's just a douche. Yeah. I still don't like him. It's as if I don't even know you. Yeah. And then he runs. Yeah. Like really? Like first of all, you have this girl. You're really into her. You like her a lot. You find out she like fights crime in a secret laboratory and you're like, oh, you don't pay attention to me. I'd be like, dude, this is awesome. Well, <laughs> like, well then what about I, he comes back later with his little peace offering, a peace offering of what Chinese food carry yeah, out or whatever. And then, um, you know, she's at her array of monitors trying to orchestrate what's going on at the fashion show. And he's like, you won't listen to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like what a tool, man. Um, and then she finally like acquiesces she and turns, turns off around. The like you're in the middle of your 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 friends are out there. They're relying on you. And like really, you're gonna you're gonna turn off the monitors for this whiny little punk man. Like give me a break. I, that was like, uh, and at that point, I thought, oh, you know, I was I was still very suspicious of him. At that point, I thought, oh, he's there because somehow Clayface is. I don't know how, but you right. know, like it's gotten him to go there and distract Oracle because Clayface didn't know about Oracle. Yeah. Um, to distract her and everything. And as it turns out that that's not the case. So because he's then actually point is like, Hey, look, there's, there's something going on. I guess maybe you should have been paying attention. Right. There. But, but you'd like to think that she would, she now sees him for what he is, which is a, well, I don't even want to say a whiny little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. No um, one use that word. But yes, we, yeah, like he is a little whiner. He's a punk. And, you know, like, again, like who, who, who would, who's, what, what guy does that, man? <laughs> like, it's like, you know, it's just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. I already didn't like him. So, yeah, I feel bad. But, uh, but yeah, the idea is for some reason, Barbara likes this guy and you would think that now she'd be like, dude, I have no respect for you because you're just such a little whiner. But, um, in the end, she like, she's still into him. Right. Yep. So, all right. Well, anyway, in the, it's about damn time department. Um, Jesse runs into Huntress at the fashion show. And of course is, you know, <laughs> He's looking straight down. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that that was a, and she acknowledges how hideous her outfit was, and and even by fashion show standards, it was pretty hideous. But uh, asks her out on a date after the show, you know, says the words, and she tells him though, you know, when all this is over, you may not want to have that date because I guess at that point she's still not sure what she's going to do. She's still thinking she's going to exact revenge and you're not going to want to go out with a killer. And, and it does sound rather ominous, but after everything's over, uh, the two of them get together. Jesse says, what do you say? We try that dinner. Huntress replies, or we could go straight to dessert. Yeah, which is like number seven in the top ten cliches of television sexual innuendo. Right? Yeah, but you know, I think given the fact that we've waited so long, um, and then they, I, I just would I, I like a better line than we could go straight to. I just it seems like you know my parents for some reason let me watch Love Boat when I was a kid, 
And it seems like they had no idea. Always using that. Yeah. They're Nor did any parent that. of that generation. Right, right. I guess it's just like, yeah, I just sit down in front of the television. But yeah, like we used to watch television all together because we just had the one set. So like right. my parents were actually in the room watching the love boat with me. Though we had to go to bed when Fantasy Island came on right yeah. after it. Okay. So I never got that. But anyway, it just seems like they're using that line. Like, well, let's just skip straight to dessert. And, you know, it's just yeah. such a cheesy line. But I guess with the, the, the woman saying it's not quite so bad. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I don't know, but uh, I like he turns with it. Yeah, we could do that. I was like, oh, all right, right. that's that's a good retort. There. You know, and now I mean, next time, because I I didn't, I don't have my notes on this with me, but uh, Shamar Moore, who plays Reese, apparently he's like some huge, I mean, huge soap opera star. Oh yeah, on one of these major soap operas, and apparently he was before Birds of Prey, and has been after. And that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go through his resume maybe next week w- with some of the stuff he's done and is doing. I mean, I mean, of all the people in the show, he's the hugest star, you know, by far. So think more so than Ashley Scott. Or- yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and what I forgot was she was in Jericho. You probably remember I never that. Saw Jer- I mean, I remember. You never saw Jericho? I never, I never saw it. Uh, wasn't bad. Yeah. But. Uh, oh, he's actually uh, older than I am. All right. So uh, anything else you want to say about the episode? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah, like, well, we never really said whether we liked it or not. I oh, think, I liked it yeah, a I lot. Think you like, yeah, yeah, from what you said, I, and I liked it too. I thought it was a really strong episode. Um, you know, uh, I like the adding in the more more baddies, and you could see again where this show could have gone. You know, exactly. because they're, they're bringing more and more of the Batman universe, um, and yeah, you know, we could have had. You know, they could have brought the Joker. You know, it seems like the Joker ultimately would have played a part. And even the return of Bruce Wayne and Batman. And and so many moral decisions that they're going to have to make as as more and more of these characters would, you know, enter into the picture. But I guess we'll never know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, great Good episode, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm by no means. People have listened to this podcast; they realize I'm not a shipper at all. But I still have to admit that it was nice for Reese and and how to, to finally get, get to dessert. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. But I, you know, I like how they kind of, you know, though at times it was it was frustrating. But it wasn't frustrating that they weren't together. It was just frustrating how they were going. To, Do I trust you? Do I not trust you? Blah blah. blah. But then again, I guess in over the long range, it makes sense that someone like Huntress would take a while, 12 episodes <laughs> to, uh, to really, uh, trust them because you know, of, of the, her life experiences, uh, it's very difficult for her to let people in. So, yep. so, all right, well, listen, we're glad you could join us tonight. And if you'd like to send some feedback, love to hear from you. Emails to fatalistpodcast at gmail.com or voicemails via SpeakPipe which you can access through the fatalist website. We will be back next week to discuss episode 13 the series finale of Birds of Prey titled Devil's Eyes. But until next time, Dave, you ain't going to play by my rules. We ain't going to play none at all. <laughs>